Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, some Conservative MPs remain unvaccinated just weeks before heading back to the House of Commons. All of our members in the House of Commons will be vaccinated. We respect the, the rules, and as we challenge the, the precedent set by the Board of Internal Economy, we will respect the rules both before our question of privilege and after. The Defence Minister says she wants to move quickly on a recommendation to hand military sexual misconduct cases to civilian investigators. This is going to take time, and while that may frustrate some, I want to assure everyone that I will put in the necessary work for as long as it takes to get this done. And Air Canada's CEO apologizes after saying he doesn't need to be able to speak or understand French. The attitude of Monsieur Rousseau is very insulting for people like me who came in Quebec without speaking French, and I learned it. It's Friday, November 5th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Toronto Star national columnist Althea Raj. Good morning, Althea. Good morning, Mark. So we're a couple of weeks away from Parliament resuming, and there are still a small number, apparently, of Conservative MPs who have not been vaccinated. And there's also a group of Conservative MPs and senators, according to The Hill Times, who are joining together to form what they're calling a civil liberties caucus that will speak up on behalf of people who are not getting vaccinated, who are losing their jobs. And uh, it seems like this issue just seems continues to persist for Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives. Yes, because caucus does not want it to die. Um, so on the first point, uh, yes, many MPs, I think CBC uh, basically called every caucus member, uh, conservative caucus member, and about 35 of them were unwilling to say whether or not they were vaccinated. Uh, many MPs actually are vaccinated. They just um, feel like they don't want to be public about their that their status for a variety of reasons, um, privacy, healthcare, uh, signaling to the more um, anti-vax uh, supporters that they um, support their stand. Um, so it will be interesting to see who shows up um, on Parliament Hill uh, in about two weeks. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, what's to me, very interesting in Aaron O'Toole's strategy is that he is basically um, depending on the Liberals and the NDP to support a hybrid model of Parliament to allow his MPs to have a voice, because at the moment he's disenfranchised those who are not vaccinated by telling them that they have to stay home, right, that they um, they won't be able to show up on Parliament Hill. So um, that's interesting. The Civil Liberties Caucus, as it is being called, um, so... Um, Caucus, general caucuses, uh, many of them have kind of special interest caucuses. Right. You know, like the, the Liberals have like an immigration caucus. So this is a civil liberties caucus that's not necessarily meant. Uh, I know Marilyn Gladue, the conservative MP who was speaking to the Hill Times, had a, had a bit of an issue with this idea that it was framed as a direct challenge to Aaron O'Toole. That's not the way she views things. Um, but she believes that. Uh, some some member some of her constituents um, deserve to have their grievances aired. Uh, she mentioned some of the healthcare workers who have been fired for refusing to take the vaccine and um, how they could be supported. Uh, some caucus members have expressed 
um, their opinion that it is unfair for the employment insurance to not be accessible to uh, constituents who lose their jobs because they're unvaccinated. So this would be a caucus where MPs can talk about this. But of course, it raises the issue that uh, the Conservatives are supporting, basically, um, people who are anti-vaccine and that instead of focusing their attention and energy on the issues that the leader wants to be championing, like the cost of living, for example, and rising inflation, they are, again, putting their anti-vax stance in the news. And so you have a lot of conservatives, uh, high-profile conservatives, like uh, James Moore, for example, last night, who was tweeting, you know, could there not, are there not other things you should be focused on, like the national economic unity, yeah. housing crisis? No, you know, like you're taking... Uh, a voice for those who reject consensus medical science. Um, so it's, it's certainly not welcomed by those in Mr. O'Toole's office. Yeah. All right, let's turn to the new defense minister, Anita Anand, saying that uh, she's not sure exactly when it'll happen, but she thinks sexual misconduct cases in the Canadian military should be and will be handed over to civilians to investigate. Um, she said she has accepted in full that recommendation that was made by Louise Arbour, the former Supreme Court of Canada justice who was brought in uh, to lead an external review. Um, and she also said she has a lot of other things on her to-do list. So give us the latest on that. Yeah. So uh, on the to-do list, she says that, uh, I think she told Global News this, uh, that um, when she heard the rumors from us in the media that she might be appointed national defense minister, she started uh, researching and then drawing up a to-do list of things that she would like to, to do, the things that she was going to tackle first if she was appointed, which is kind of interesting. Um, on the Vizakbul recommendations, so actually I think this may be like a coup in communications because... Uh, Justice Arbault, who, um, as I'm sure listeners know, was tasked with the, like, basically the third independent review, uh, looking at how the forces have been handling this and offering uh, recommendations in all different types of corners, was given, in her terms of reference, the ability to basically issue letters with recommendations, letters that had to be made public. And on October 20th, 20th she wrote to Harjit Sajjan, who was still the National Defense Minister, and said that in the course of her investigation, she had heard that this recommendation that actually uh, is in Justice Fish's report, which was tabled or released on April 30th of this year, but released publicly about a month, um, two months later, a month later, early June. Um, the government at the time, so Mr. Sajjan, decided not to respond to this part of the report, which basically said that sexual allegations, you know, allegations that would be, that are found in the criminal code should be investigated through the civilian military system, not the military system, because the military system gives the appearance that, um, it, it may not actually be working. Also, senior yeah. leadership, leadership is unaware of who's being investigated, so they might, you know, promote people who have this cloud hanging around them. Um, and it, everybody's interests would be better served if this was handled through the civilian system. Now, Madame Arbeau has decided that, yes, she agrees with that recommendation, so she gave that to Mr. Sajjan. Now, Mr. Sajjan had to have, no, had to have known by October 20th that he was not going to be the defense minister any longer. And so 
in some ways, Anita and not, not to take anything away from her and her competencies as a minister, but she has inherited through, I guess, in some ways, happenstance, the ability to show that she's going to do things, she's going to be different. And she can use Justice Albul's letter to show, hey, I'm taking decisive action on, on this thing. Right. But it would have been, I mean, can you imagine the reverse? If Madame Albul released her, her letter publicly and Minister Anand says she's not going to act on it, of course she would never do that. So yeah. if anything, I think the woman to be watching in this debate is actually Madame Arbour. Because if you read her letter, Mark, she says she's giving the minister, uh, she's demanding basically monthly reports on how her recommendation are, is being implemented, which is, um, which is interesting. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Be very interesting to, to watch yeah. how that unfolds. So let's talk about the CEO of Air Canada. Um, he's apologized now uh, for his comments the other day when he talked about not needing to speak French in, in Montreal. Michael Russo has apologized in both French and English in a statement. And um, uh, François Legault, the Premier of Quebec, said a lot about it, said it was insulting. Um, do you think this puts an end to the story, or or is, is there more to come? No, I think this is, this is not done yet. This story is huge in Quebec. And it's not just François Legault, the Premier of Quebec, who spoke about how insulted he was. You had Pablo Rodriguez, who's now the Heritage Minister, on TV all day on Thursday talking about what an insult this was. Jeanette Fitzpatrick-Taylor, the new official languages minister, was also condemning uh, Michael Husserl's comments. I mean, what happened here is basically a man who has been living in Montreal for 14 years told Quebecers proudly that he has been able to live in Montreal without speaking French. And he seems to have been completely clueless to the fact that the province is engaged in a vigorous debate for the past, like, 10 years about what to do with the fact that you can live in Montreal without learning French and that this is a problem. And not not only has he not bothered to learn French in his time in Montreal, but that he would be so unaware that his comments would be inflammatory, that they would um, bolster the argument, the CAC government's argument to uh, impose French language mandates on uh, companies like Air Canada to ensure that people have a workplace that they can speak French in. Uh, It is going to justify basically what François Legault's government wants to do and what the federal government uh, has been trying to do as well. And probably the losers in all this, um, to quote uh, Chantal Hébert from our Ad Issue panel last night, are Anglophone Quebecers who, unfortunately, you know, they're trying to fight against Bill 96, which is a controversial language law in the province. And here, Michael Rousseau has given ammunition to... um, to the forces against them. So it is, it's really quite shocking. And so many people are now, like the NDP is calling for Mr. Rousseau to be fired. Uh, this story is definitely not over in Quebec. Mm. All right, Althea, great to have your insights on all of this. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much, Mark. You too. That's Toronto Star national columnist Althea Raj. I've been able to live in Montreal without speaking French. Um, and I think that's a testament to the city of Montreal. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Montreal Gazette, Alison Haynes argues, Air Canada is hitting turbulence that should have been avoided. Haynes writes, Air Canada CEO Mike Rousseau did issue an apology on Thursday morning 
in which he promised to improve his French skills. But it was too little too late. He may be reeling from this political pylon, but it was entirely predictable and avoidable. He may be too busy with Air Canada's post-pandemic recovery to make learning French a priority right now, but he had 14 years. At cbc.ca, Aaron Wherry argues the oil and gas emissions cap is a dose of cold reality for a warming world. Wherry writes, If everyone agrees on the destination, the logical next step is to figure out how to get there. Figuring out the means was always going to be a challenge, but a cap forces political and industry leaders to confront that reality. The politics of reducing emissions from the oil and gas sector is uniquely complicated. Some prime minister was going to have to face that reality, and now is as good a time as any to do so. At Policy Options, Catherine May asks what we are losing with the elimination of our digital government minister. May writes, The decision to drop a digital government minister from the cabinet lineup comes when many argue just about everything on its agenda requires some kind of digital transformation. Digital technology is central to tackling any policy issue, whether it's fighting the rest of the pandemic, climate change, housing, or Indigenous services. The loss of digital cabinet clout takes away much-needed political leadership, a single voice at the cabinet table, and a focus to navigate a responsibility that is already fractured among too many players. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will get his flu shot in Ottawa before speaking with Manitoba Premier Heather Stefanson. Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkinson and Environment Minister Stephen Gilbeau continue to attend the COP26 conference in Glasgow. Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne will be traveling to Washington, D.C. and Monterey, Mexico to meet with his American and Mexican counterparts. International Trade Minister Mary Ng will speak at the opening of the Chinatown Storytelling Center in Vancouver. And Rural Economic Development Minister Goody Hutchins will take part in a discussion about federal support for rural communities in Newfoundland and Labrador. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, November 5th. Tune into Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.